So we're in, hey, Grant and Carlos. We have chairs right here, yes, on either side. Oh, one thing I do want to make known is if you don't have a copy, or yours is horribly mangled, one-to-one Bible study books over here, those are yours for the taking. I highly recommend them. It's a great way to um, get into the Word and to, and to study through a book of the Bible, a whole book of the Bible, not cherry-picking verses, but to, to walk through a book together with a, another uh, uh, brother in Christ, or we can do one-to-two, but one-to-one's kind of fun. Anyway, they're yours for the taking, okay, if y'all, if y'all want them, which you do, so take one. Right. So we are in Exodus 14, 1 through 12. We ended last week with Israel on the edge of the wilderness, the border of Egypt in front of them. Things are looking good. They had the pillar of cloud by day, the fire by night. Um, They um, had seen uh, the plagues against Egypt, God's deliverance of them, his oppression or his um, judgment on the oppressors of Israel. Uh, they had Joseph's bones, which had to be encouraging, because that was because of a promise that Joseph made that God would visit them later and deliver them from Egypt. They had all the evidence they needed of God's faithfulness, his direction, his, uh, his, his protection, all of it there. No worries, right? No worries. All right, Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Hirihoth. Hirihoth? <coughs> to Pi, it's a mathematical city. Between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. 
So when I was preparing, I thought, what would a good Baptist come up with three points in this lesson? So here they are. If you like outlines, here's an outline. The first point, turn back. The second point, turned heart. And the last one, turned against. There you go. Tammy, that's for you. All T's at the front. It's all good. I, I got to thinking about this. Well, first of all, what's going on here? They're, they're at a place where they can move out and, and, and be free. I mean, right? I mean, God could keep moving this way that we're going, and we're good. We're in the wilderness. We're away from the Egyptians. But he tells them to do something. What does he tell them to do? Turn back and camp facing a certain way. Is that a wise military strategy? What is he telling them to turn back from a place of exit to a place of what? The sea is in front of them and Pharaoh's army is behind them. Good feeling gone. Right? They're at the sea. And they had a, they had a route that they could have gone that would have put them in pole position for moving around and, and, and avoiding the army. But he says, turn back. I had, I had this picture in my head. You remember all the, the cop shows when, they're, when they're, um, they're hunting down the serial killer? And it's a certain profile that the killer goes after. And so they find, of course, the heroine or the hero or whatever. I'll be the bait. Right? Just put me out here. La, 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 la. I don't know what's going on. And the killer's like, you know, doing this thing. <laughs> this is the picture I have in my head here. <laughs> Turn back. Pharaoh's after you. Let's bring him in and we'll, you know. This is the picture I have. Why would he place them in such a treacherous circumstance? He could have had them far beyond the reach of Pharaoh, and he didn't do it. What's the point of this? Why go back? Does it say? For his glory. glory. In what way? Wouldn't he be glorified in getting them away and keeping them safe and letting them have a nice, easy time in the desert? Trusting him. Trusting him? Because later on, I mean, he's going to... Hadn't he done that already? Hadn't he, the ten plagues, the last one being really pretty profound, I mean, he's right there in front of them, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. They got fulfilled prophecy going on with Joseph's bones. Why this? Because I mean, they're already starting to not believe the Lord's provision. Like, like they get to the sea, yeah. Why? Why? What? Why? It's better to serve you. Anyway, we'll get there in a minute. Uh, their position is so poor strategically that God tells. I mean, he's, he says this to, to Moses. Okay, I'm putting him here because when Pharaoh hears of it, he's going to get excited about this. Now's the time. This is the bloodbath I've been waiting for. You know, this is this is the point where he's going to be vocal about their bad situation. He's got them right where he wants them. And, and the, the, in, in verses 1 through 4, he says they're, God says that Pharaoh will say they're literally wandering in, aimlessly, almost like lost cattle. They're, they're wandering aimlessly out here. And he'll be excited about it. But what does he say he's going to do? What's the what's the point here? He, he points points to something. What is God going to do? He hardens Pharaoh's heart. He hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why would he need to harden his heart again? What had just happened? He just let 
He just let them go. Something had reversed the course of his heart and caused it to soften to let them go. What was that? The tenth plague. What was the tenth plague? The death of the firstborn. So he's he's been humbled. He's been broken. He's been he's well broken in a in a I can't do anything about it since not in a here's a ten dollar word not in a salvific sense, um, but he he's been broken in that way and yet now he has them in this position where there's a sea at their back and I've got the greatest military power in the world at my beck and call. Let's go get them. Absolutely it is. What are they losing out by Israel leaving? Slaves, they've got all that free labor. You've got free labor. And they've got building projects to do. They've got a capital campaign they've run, and they're ready to get some free labor out of the volunteers. There, there is, um, with this, a great economic loss to Egypt. And money, apparently, is more important than safety in this situation. I mean, haven't they gone through this before? So God, in his sovereignty, is the point here. He hardens Pharaoh's heart again. Have we seen this before? Oh, yes. I said the word again, so that kind of gives you the answer. Again and again and again. God hardens, God hardens to bring Pharaoh to a place where, he will be glor- where God will be glorified over him. He baits Pharaoh into coming after his people, the Israelites, um, so that he can, uh, what does he say? So that the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord? I find it interesting he doesn't say so that Pharaoh will know that I'm the Lord. (laughs) What's going to happen to Pharaoh? What is he doing? We have this... We have this turned heart here. There's a scene change in verse 5. It goes from God talking to Moses to uh, the scene in the, in the royal uh, uh, court, courthouse, courtroom. He had been softened in the tenth plague, but now he's hardened again. Uh, verse 6 and 7 indicates he's leading a group of 600 chariots himself. He's taking charge here. He's taking the choice chariots, <laughs> and he's going into battle himself, along with all of his other officers, they're all heading down to the Red Sea. They're out to destroy Israel, the greatest military power at the time. And, and what do the Hebrews have to fight with? You throw at them goats? <laughs> uh, never mind. I, I had a, well, anyway, never mind. We had a a little thing happen yesterday that might actually play into this, but we're just going to move on. All right, they are on foot, and they're locked in by the Red Sea. They have no chance. Now, look at this word here in um, in, in verse uh, verse 6, 7, and 8, where where it says, in in verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out Defiantly. Most translations are going to have that word defiantly. Literally, the the, the idiom there in Hebrew is with a high hand. And a lot of times it means, you know, defiantly. But I disagree with that interpretation of the word. 
I, I don't think that the text indicates that the Israelites are confident at all. Um, with a high hand, I think it would make more sense to say, it, it's speaking of God, that they're going out under his high hand. Then there's some other indications in, later on in the Old Testament where that phrase is used, talking of God's power in Isaiah 26.11 and Psalm 89.13. We won't go there, but, but there's some other references that, that deal with that. And it seems to me that, that it re- makes more sense to refer to God being, being confident in what he's doing there and, and leading them out confidently rather than Israel being confident. And any, anyway, whatever confidence they had is quickly dispelled, right, as they're looking at the Egyptian army coming down on them. They, they, they're getting a little shaken when the Egyptians catch up with them. And, and the catching up part, the overtaking them, doesn't mean that they're actually making contact, but they're, they're in near within striking distance of, of where they are. So what do you think? What, 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 what would you be thinking? You see the dust cloud behind you and the sea in front of you. We're in the desert. Just <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be thinking... Our, my, my worst um, the worst scenario has happened you know oh, he's either going to kill us out here we're going to go back to slavery it's like you get a little taste of freedom so your heart you know mm-hmm. you're all excited mm-hmm. and then whop you know it'd be a, a huge sinking feeling what are you going to do They're, they'll probably kill the majority of the males take the women and children back into slavery they'd kill the males though well so majority they, yeah, that's they're, they're going out to get their slaves. They're right. going out to get people to work for them. Right. Well, they got to, yeah. Pick your horrible scenario in a situation like that. That's probably what's going through their mind. Um, so they're in front of the sea. Behind them is a massive army of Pharaoh. What is their response, these defiant people? What do they say? What does it? What does the, the text say? Verse, they were what? At the end of verse ten, it says the people cried out to the Lord. Because what? What does it say? Afraid. They're afraid, so we have fear. And what's their response? They cried out to Yahweh. And the first two responses there are not wrong. No. Absolutely not. It's the third one that gets them in trouble. If they had stopped there, we'd be all right. We'd have a good story. They cried out to Yahweh. This is the first time they'd done that when they cry out. Before it had been Elohim, God, generally. Israel's now crying out to the covenant God. This is a good response. I mean, when you're in a tight spot, (laughs) that's where you want to be. I have nothing. I can't do anything. Only you can save me. That's where we want to be. That's prayer. Right? But they didn't stop there. They started complaining. Whining. They're so angry and scared <coughs> that they're sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's a, there's a little bit of sarcasm there. What's the sarcasm? Are there no so. graves in Egypt? Are there no graves in Egypt? What is even more funny about that than the fact that, of course, they've got graves because they all die too, What's the preoccupation of Egyptian culture? They're building giant pyramids. These are 
big tombs in the building. This is what they've been working on for the past, you know, 300, 400 years. Are the tombs of these pharaohs? Of course, they know their graves. They built them. And the whole theology of Egypt is wrapped around this idea of afterlife and, you know, a, a coffin with luggage racks. Um, you have this whole idea of, of uh, obsession with death in the afterlife. Of course there are graves in Egypt. What an incredibly stupid statement to make. What's the core issue there? What, what is the core statement that they make? We're going to die. Well, there's that. We would have been better off just left alone. It would have been better to have been left alone. It would have been better to serve the Egyptians rather than serve the Lord. What a treasonous statement. Right? Um, Not only is this sarcastic, but it's treasonous. It would have been better for us in Egypt to serve Egypt rather than God. They're, They're betraying the one that they've just called out to, the covenant God, out of a sense of panic and urgency. We would never do that, would we? That's crazy. I was talking to a friend um, this week about the level of hostility, the growing hostility against Christianity in our culture. Uh, there's, there's a case uh, that just came out, and you may have heard this, in New Mexico, where um, the Supreme Court of Mexico, New Mexico has um, saw fit in its vast uh, finite wisdom to, to say that a Christian, a, a company who's run, that is run by Christians, a photography company, <clears throat> must provide services to a gay confirmation ceremony. And they call it confirmation ceremony because gay marriage is not legal in, um, in New Mexico. So they say that for them to say, I'm not going to provide services to you. I'm not going to take a picture of your little mirage. Um, I, I, I'm going to instead uh, be true to what my core beliefs are, that that's wrong, and I don't want to be a part of promoting it and giving hearty approval to it because of my conviction, my freedom of religion, my freedom of speech. Um, I'm not going to provide services. The Supreme Court of New Mexico saw fit to say, no, that's discrimination. That, that you, that in fact, it's a violation of a civil right. That, that you, as a public business, a private business in operating the public, do not provide services that way. That is a, um, that is a violation of their constitutional rights of, uh, of, of civil rights. So the idea uh, then, the most disturbing language, not, not that that's not disturbing enough, but the most disturbing language for me uh, in reading through the case is the, the, the concurring opinion of the judge where he says that, yes, this is going to be very hard for the defendants to stomach. But, you know, we live in a pluralistic society where we all have to just get along. And doing this compromise of your cherished belief in this little situation is the cost of citizenship. 
That's the language. That's the cost of being an American citizen to compromise, to grab your little pinch of incense, to put it in a little fire and say, Caesar is Lord. That's the cost. It's just a little thing. I mean, how can you be so intolerant? Now, I have no doubt that that's going to go to the Supreme Court. Well, so now they're invited to lie. Right. Um, so we were talking about this and the increasing hostility of it, the cost of citizenship. And oh, and the judge felt really bad about it, too, by the way. He's really sorry that they're going to be hurt by this, but that's the cost of citizenship. Yeah, he's just sorry that he just trampled their first amendment rights. Right, that's, that's all. The, the idea in Exodus 14 is the... Uh, pursuing of Egypt, of Israel. There's great hostility toward the very existence of the people of God here. The, the word for pursue can also be used as a root of the word persecution. Persecution, pursue. It's a thing. Um, and when we were talking about this, I was kind of telling what we were going to go through this morning and, and kind of the stuff we talked about about the New Mexico case. Uh, we, we came to the conclusion that we're all going to be pursued someday. And my fear is that we do this. Wouldn't it be better to throw a little pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord, just, just we don't mean it in our hearts, right? I know that gay marriage is wrong. I, I just, just get by. Um, my concern is that many will apostatize in this issue. Because I, I firmly believe that in this issue, this is the flashpoint issue of our time. Someone once said that uh, um, the, the faithful soldier is the one who fights where the battle is raging, <laughs> not just fights on, on old, older issues, but where the battle is raging, where, where it's raging. And here it is raging very clearly. My fear is that we have, and we see it already with some of the mainstream denominations, just kind of, well, let's just be, let's be nice. Dave had to face this yesterday. Uh, he left to go to Chicago last night to go for graduate school, but his mother's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And they trapped him on the dinner and said that they were going to go to another state and get you know, legally married. Mm-hmm. So that when they came back here, it would be recognized, and they're going to do the wills and do all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And basically, wanted his endorsement and his approval and all this other thing. And instead of doing it, he he gave them the gospel, mm-hmm. and it was not well with him after that. Yeah, well, and it w- it wouldn't be. So he left heartbroken. Sure. Going to Chicago. Sure. It's a problem. It's a tough issue because there's a blinded mindset that somehow having a, an opinion and a conviction based on the Word of God that something is wrong is, is going to be met with hostility. What do we see in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9? That, that, that no adulterer, sexually immoral, rival, uh, those who, who, who are revilers, who are greedy, 
or who commits homosexual acts will ever enter the kingdom of God. Paul, that's New Testament, by the way, not Leviticus. That's Paul in the, in the New Testament identifying things that, that are, by their own nature, not getting you into the kingdom. It's sin, right? And notice it equates reviler and homosexual acts, so they're you know, falsely accusing them of things, too, so don't do that. But the point is, people are identified by their sin. And he goes on to say, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleaned, made holy by the, by the grace of God. He gives them the gospel. They're no longer identified by their sin, whether it's greed, reviling, homosexual acts. It's identified in Christ. Not that they don't struggle with those things, but they fight them. And when you call for the fight, oh, but I was born this way. Well, sure, I was born a certain way too. Does it mean I just go willy-nilly into... I mean, this is, this is something that I, I think we need to give careful prayer for. We can say it safely in here, yeah, I would never... But when you get faced with a situation that's very personal, what are you going to do? Because they sprung it on them. And it was planned to spring it on them. What are you going to do? Are we any different than Israel here? Do we trust God here? How do you know? How do you know? One verse comes to mind, or a passage actually. Uh, Romans 8, it's a good place to go to again and again. 35 through 37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Conquering what? He just said, you're going to be slaughtered like sheep. For what? How is that conquering? sheep? How is that conquering? It's conquering the temptation to apostasize. Okay. To what end? You'll lose your life. scene in Revelation where there are the guys that are under the throne, the martyrs, and they say, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? Remember that? 
says, wait a little while longer till the number of your brothers is fulfilled. God has planned, ordained, orchestrated a number of martyrs. <laughs> There's a way out. There's a way that seems like, hey, we're free. And he says, turn back. And you'll be with your back to the sea and facing a federal agent. I think we need to be careful not to make ourselves martyrs to mind every opportunity true. we can to just like lash out. That's true. Lashing out is not an option. And, I, and I'm not trying to call for that. But I think we need to be thinking through where the culture's going. And how do you respond in gentleness and respect to give a reason for the hope that's in you? Facing increasing opposition. Do we respond, it would have been better if you had left us alone to serve Egypt rather than the Lord? Are we going to respond that way? We are more than conquerors when we feel like there is only... Uh, he. Well, let me put it this way. He is more than a conqueror in us when we feel only hopelessness rather than victory. Right? When we're looking down the, the, the hard um, issues of our time, Christ is still conquering in us. Uh, he's more than a conqueror in us in the public battles that we rage increasingly in a hostile culture. Even to the point of our own lives, we're more than conquerors in him, not because we're awesome. I mean, even the guys who had their tongues cut out would say, I'm not awesome. Christ is awesome. And he's faithful. They had all the evidence of God's faithfulness here. They had the, the plagues, the bones and the pillar of fire and cloud. And all the evidence of it. Do we have evidence of his faithfulness today? Yes. What? I, I'm looking around. I'm not seeing a, a pillar, although I slept on one last night. It had to come out eventually. I, I didn't do it last week. Okay. We've got all the evidence of what? Changed hearts. Okay. Anything else? (laughs) Somebody is holding up their Bible. Why is that an evidence of his faithfulness? There wasn't a boot out into the culture saying, just, you know, follow the latest taco that affects your stomach and go with your heart. (laughs) What does he do? He gave us what? The written word. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, one of my classes is philosophy, and we've been studying Plato, and it's, it's like every other work of his, it's like, oh, well, we're not sure if this is actually, you know, yeah. accurate, or we don't have this other work, or whatever. Yeah. But we have the Bible. Right. And and it's attested to, it's uh, it's a verifiable. We'll prove another other stuff than mine. Yeah. We also, we also have with him the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit bears with our spirit that we are the sons of God. There's that evidence. So three evidences. I think also the church, just the fact that we're here meeting in this room, mm-hmm. people from you know all sorts of 
2,000 years after this man named Jesus lived. Mm -hmm. That's pretty significant. It is significant. <coughs> and it's not uh, something happening in one region of the world. It's happening worldwide. And all different um, cultures and all different um, situations. It is not out of forgetfulness, weakness, carelessness, poor planning on the part of Christ that we are here. You think Christ is going, man, I wish they'd get along better. I wish there was something I could do. This whole denominationalism thing bothers me. I just don't know what to do about it. Do you think that that's, uh, he's up there, you know, on the throne, sitting right hand of the Father, wringing his hands. Poor planning. Oh, man, I don't know how I let that New Mexico decision happen. I don't know what I would... Uh, we just call a council. We've got to figure out what to do. Is that... No. He's got them right where he wants them. And he's got us right where he wants us. He has sovereignly loved us. He sovereignly loves us and will sovereignly continue in his faithful love to his people. The evidence is his faith of his faithfulness is scripture, what he's doing in you, what he's doing worldwide, and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that resides in you. Right? Those are good evidences. In fact, Peter says that that's even greater than the transfiguration. Remember that? It'd be kind of a cool thing to see, Jesus glorified and Moses and Elijah sitting there and Hey, let's build a, we can build tabernacles for you guys. Peter says, we saw that. We heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. But we have a more certain evidence. The prophetic word, which you do well to hear. That's our evidence. Something objective, something true, something from God. So what do you do with that? Study it. Yeah, I know it's a heavy one. I, I thought it would be heavy, and it is. It's quiet. But I think we need to be thinking about this stuff. Is it real to you? Don't coast. Yeah. I think we need to recognize that we all have very treasonous hearts. Mm -hmm. um, even as Christians, we tend toward that. They had the pillar right there mm -hmm. of God's presence yeah. while they were complaining. While they were saying it would be better for us to go back to Egypt than to be here in God's presence, it, and they had a physical sign of mm -hmm. His presence even at that time. And so I, I think, um, I think first of all, we need to recognize our tendency to to go, God, why don't you bring me here? Why don't you bring me here where there's no way out? Mm -hmm. Instead of recognizing that maybe he brought us there to be dependent on just his deliverance mm -hmm. and on our, on our own schemes. So recognize our own tendency toward treason. Submit that to Christ. Um, depend upon him for faithfulness because he's been faithful to us. And practice that out in the community that we have. Our brothers and sisters of Christ. Any, anything else? Y'all looking at me like, what is he doing? Yes. Um, this is going to sound strange, but I, I keep thinking of Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, um, I know. Yes, it does sound strange. Okay. <laughs> he's, 
arguably the best golfer in the world. He started playing golf when he was three. Hmm. And I've heard that, um, like, growing up, there was only, like, four days a year that he did not set foot on a golf course. Hmm. So it was every single day he was practicing, you know. He was, um, it was the little things, like reading the word every single day that builds up that faith. Mm -hmm. It's the small things. And Tiger Woods became great because of the small things. So practice the basics. The basics don't necessarily involve going to your next conference. The basics involve study the words, prayer, meeting together. Those are the basics. Um, okay. It's 5 till 10. I'm breaking records left and right on how early we get now. Any other comments? Three points were... I was asked. They were all teased. Turn back. God turned them back to a place of difficulty. Turn heart. Pharaoh once again was moved to, which is a big deal. We didn't get into that. We've talked about that a lot. Pharaoh's hardness of heart being a, a vehicle to God's glory, which we'll see next week. And then turned against. Seeing the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and the strength of the Egyptian army, they try to ground swap Moses. Okay, there you are. So let's not do that. But isn't it easy that they complained to Moses and not to God, though, given that they had the pillar right there? Yeah, I, I was wondering about that. I, I didn't know if they would think that the cloud might turn into a lightning cloud. Um, <laughs> or the fire kind of... Like they can't hear them? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Moses. <laughs> Why? All right, let's pray. Lord, we like easy times. We like um, comfort. We like security. We like certainty. And we, we tend to try to find it in everything else but you. God, we repent of our treasonous hearts that oftentimes will trade and exchange the glory of God for a lie. Something that promises joy, something that promises happiness and peace and it's fake. It's temporary. Disappears like dust in the desert. Give us, Lord, hearts that are faithful to you. Faithful to your people and bold enough to proclaim the truth of the gospel when it's awkward uncomfortable and possibly dangerous we are thankful father that our country has not gone to the place yet where they are killing Christians in the streets like Egypt or Iran but father it's getting increasingly hostile in rhetoric I pray for this group that you set their hearts like flint not to turn to the left or the right on the gospel. 
but that by your Spirit you give them words to speak in due season that are salt and light that slow down the decay of the culture in which they live in. I pray for transformed lives to lead to additional transformed lives. Father, start with us in how we treat each other, how we love each other, how we encourage one another toward holiness so that we're not playing games, that we're not just spouting off a bunch of Christian words to make ourselves feel better on Sunday morning, but that by your Spirit you cause us to repent of things that we hide, things that we do in secret, things that we close off in our own hearts that nobody else knows about as if we could hide anything from you. Let our holiness adorn and confirm the gospel that we say we believe. Remind us again and again of your faithful love toward your people, toward us. Teach us to reflect that in the way we live day by day minute by minute. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.